Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Victory Family Church. Good to see you today. Saw everybody mealing around out there in the lobby. Um, good to see your smiling faces. Welcome today. It looks like it's going to be another hot day today. I've stood out there and the sun's beating down on my uh, almost bald head. So it's good to be in here where we got air conditioned. So it's good to see you. My name is Doug Everard. My wife and I, Jill, we direct the Leadership College back on the Norman campus. And we work with college students that are interested and honestly feel a calling to go into full-time ministry. And so uh, we've given most of our life to working with the young generation and we love it. It's an honor to do that. It's an honor to be here today. Um, I want to honor your pastors, uh, Pastor David and Brittany Donaldson. I appreciate them. Uh, I just told them a while ago, I said, you know, you actually make me want to be an Arkansas Razorback fan. And, and you, most of you don't know me, but I am the biggest OU fan in the room. And, and it, it really is true. And I don't have time to tell you what it is. Pastor David could tell you to prove that. But I'm just going to give our pastors a woo pig. I love you guys. Um, we use adjectives all the time to describe people and what we like. And honestly, we like our pastors a certain way. Um, if I was choosing my pastor, I think the one thing I need to know for sure is that one, clearly they love God, but they have such an incredible heart and love for people. And that's these two right over here. Um, I appreciate you guys very much. And your love comes through every time. And I'll take that over any other adjective, anything else out there is the fact that you love people. So Pastor Dave and Brittany, I love you guys. Appreciate it. It's an honor to be here today and to uh, stand in this pulpit and preach. Um, let's jump right into this. Uh, last week, we started the series Inner Circle. You saw the video there just behind you. Um, you're as close as you want to be to God right now in this moment. But we want to encourage ourselves to move closer. I think honestly, if we take a real honest look at ourselves, we can move closer in our relationship with the Lord. But sometimes we just don't know how to do that, or we're frozen, or we're stuck. And I think we're going to learn some more today, even as we did last week. Last week, we started looking at the crowd. So what we're doing, and, and just so you know, I think you're catching on and understanding, but we're taking a big lens and we're pulling back. And so we're looking at the big picture right now. And so we see the mass of crowds that are around Jesus. Okay, and that's what we talked about last week. And the crowds, that's a place of watching. It's a place of listening. Maybe you've been in a big crowd before and you just feel like I need to get back, my back up against the wall. Or, and maybe you like crowds because you can hide in the crowd. You can just kind of chill in the midst of the public and just kind of be yourself and not have to stand out or anything like that. That's what the crowd is. But today, we're going to zero in just one more, and we're going to look at the 5,000. Now, 5,000 is still a crowd of people, but it's not as massive as the crowd. And so the 5,000 is a place where we begin to find that you can be fed and you can even find healing in your relationship with the Lord. Um, guys, I'm going to 
I'm going to make you uncomfortable with your wives here for just a second. Uh, I'm sorry for that ahead of time. I know you're cringing, but it, it really won't be that bad. How many of you fellas, you've taken your wife out to dinner, you guys are enjoying your dinner, or your girlfriend, and you get to the end of the meal, and you know, fellas, that you want dessert. So you look over at your beautiful wife and you say, Hun, I call my wife Hun. The kids tease us all the time because I don't call her Jill, I just call her Hun, so they think that's her first name. Um, I said, "Hun, do you want dessert? She's like, um, uh, no, I'm fine. So I'm like, okay, because I want dessert. So I order my dessert and I commence eating my dessert. And some of you are laughing because you understand what I'm about to say. So I played basketball and they taught you to have peripheral vision. So I can see like Pastor David sitting over there. Let's just say that's my wife. All right. I can see I can see what she's doing right now as I'm eating my dessert. I can see out of my peripheral, and I look up. And I don't even want to make eye contact because I know what she's about to do, and she does. Um, can I just have a bite? <laughs> and I go, hun, like that's really what I do. Hun, like I'll, I'll buy you your own dessert. Well, I don't want my own dessert. I just want a bite, maybe two. I go, but hun, I want my whole, I want my dessert. <laughs> And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the feeding of 5,000. I wonder if that boy, because uh, maybe some of you know the story, Jesus comes up to a boy, he's got five loaves and fishes, and he's got his lunch, he's ready to go. I wonder if he had the same thing that I did of, you know, like, this is, I kind of wanted my whole lunch here, but we see, and he's a much better person than I am, because he gives up his lunch to the Lord, and we see what the Lord does. And so let's jump into that today, John chapter 6, verse number 1 through 15. It's on the screen behind me there. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who, who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all had, when, they, when, sorry, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, may the words that are spoken, may they change hearts and lives today. May you do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, again, we talked about the crowd. The crowd is full of skeptics. It's full of full of people that are curious, they're in wonderment, but they're also able to actually hide. And like last week, we said, that's a starting place. And in other words, that's a starting place with your relationship with the Lord, but you can't stay there. And so the place you move forward from the crowd 
is now the 5,000, which is where we are at today. So there's three things that we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes, um, you'll want to write these three things down. These are three things that can happen when you're in the 5,000. So number one, point number one, allow your needs to draw you close to Jesus. Now, we just read John chapter 6. Back in John chapter 5, if you go back and look at that, there's actually a group of people that are hanging out around what is called the sheep gate. And around that gate, there's a pool And people would gather around this pool in John chapter 5, and they would sit there. And these people were invalids, they were sick, they were hurting, they were in need. The idea was, if they could dip in the pool when the waters were stirred, then they believed that they would be healed, that they would receive healing. In this case, they hung out there all the time, but what they saw happen was they saw Jesus perform this miracle in John chapter 6. So all of a sudden, this idea of hanging around a pool, excuse me, is being challenged by this man, Jesus, and they're realizing he's got what I need. So again, we look in John chapter 6, verse number 1. Sometime after this, Jesus, uh, Jesus crossed in the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So we see these people move from this pool where they're hanging out, waiting for an opportunity to dip in in hopes that they'll get healed. And now they're moving and they're following Jesus as he moves about. They follow him because of what he could do for them. They knew who he was. They thought he can heal us. He can provide for us because we saw him provide this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, Jesus didn't ask everyone to come around him He wasn't setting up what we would term a modern-day revival, or uh, he was going to line people up and pray for the sick. He just simply was walking along and doing what he did with his disciples. But this incredible group of people discovered what he did, and they started following him. Their great need created a great desperation for Jesus. Now, I got to be honest with you, there's times in my lives that I have been desperate for something to happen in my life. And when you are desperate, when you have a need that's so desperate, you'll do almost anything like camp around a pool and wait for it to be stirred because you think if you can get in, you can be healed. But when they see Jesus, they realize, holy cow, this man is for real. So in our desperation, it's important to understand only Jesus can help you and I. We are often like the paralytic trying to dip into the water, which is what I just said. We try many things to heal or restore when only Jesus can truly heal us. In the 5,000, you start to recognize who Jesus really is. Jesus is called many things in the scripture. He's the same God that can meet you right where you're at, can meet me right where I'm at. These are some of the names that the scripture gives Jesus. Lord God Almighty, the Most High God, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord that heals. It's in the 5,000 you see that he can actually meet your need. There's a lady by the name of Kristen. It was a little over a year ago. She was driving in Norman, Oklahoma. She had her kids in the back seat. Quite honestly, like some of us, was going just through a really, really rough time. 
Bad time in life, struggle after struggle, literally. I don't say that to sensationalize this story. I think she would repeat that word for word. She's driving by the church. She feels like she's supposed to turn around. She pulls in, and this is on a Monday night, and there's a parking attendant, a volunteer who's out there directing traffic, getting people parked in the church there at Norman. She says, what's going on here? And the gentleman that's there says, well, this is neon. This is an event for women, and goes on to tell her more about it. And he says, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for your ticket if you want to go. She's thinking, well, I got kids. They're in the back seat. He goes, it's okay. We have a nursery. So you can, and so she feels relieved. So she parks, she gets out, she goes in. And literally in that service, in that moment, God begins to do things inside of her, begins to touch her, begins to heal her, begins to help her. And you see God do incredible things in the 5,000. You see, Kristen was in the 5,000. She wasn't in the crowd, but she was in that 5,000 group of people. She was distant, but yet going, well, and she walks into a service and she sees what God can do. The rest is history. She's a part of Norman now and is there every single week, and God is doing incredible things in her life. The 5,000 is a place of needs being met, and I want to encourage us today. We need to understand this, that Jesus does meet the needs of his people. He gives rest to the weary, strength to the weak. He gives courage to the fearful. Jesus, he heals, he restores, he redeems, he sets people free. He meets our needs. I'm just going to say this. If you're hurting, if you're broken, maybe you've been hurt in church before. Maybe you're trying this church thing for the very first time and it's overwhelming. Can I just say this to you? All of that is okay. You're right where you need to be, and you're good, and you need to know that God cares and that God loves you, and that's why you're here today. Now, I hope you can find peace in being a part of the 5,000, but can I encourage you this? Can I, can, you don't want to stay there because there's more of Jesus to be had. If we're not careful we tend to treat Jesus kind of like a Santa Claus. What can I get from him? What's he going to do for me? Undoubtedly, there were people in the 5,000 that were thinking, because they were so desperate, this man can help me. But you can't stay there. John chapter 6, verse number 3 Three through seven. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And the disciples, they were overwhelmed in this moment. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He's asking, how can we feed all of these hungry people. Disciples are thinking, trying to figure this out. Jesus already knows. It's important to see a need, meet it, but it's also important in the 5,000, and this is point number two if you're taking notes, that we don't serve Jesus with our stomach. Now, that seems a little silly. That's kind of a silly point to make, but what does that really mean? Serving Jesus is not about what he can do for you or what he can do for me. 
Serving Jesus is about what he's already done for me and for you. It's about who he is. We know that the 5,000 will not all continue following Jesus, right? Because some of them just won't get it. They're so consumed with their life and what is going on and the desperation that they have that they're missing the bigger picture that's going on here that what Jesus truly can provide for them. But Jesus will meet your needs. And he's all of those things that you long for. But as you grow closer to the Lord, we stop looking at Jesus and thinking, what can he do for me? And you begin to start thinking, well, how can I serve him? And how can I serve his people? The mindset begins to shift as you draw closer to the Lord. You no longer are as concerned about your own needs because you realize and understand that there's a certain amount of trust and faith you put in the Lord that he's going to take care of you in spite of. And you move past the part where you're desperate and you begin to trust and your faith begins to build. The Bible says, pray and ask the Lord to meet needs. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So certainly we pray for the miraculous. We ask God to meet our needs. We're doing that today. There'll be prayer time at the end where we will do that today. We'll pray for the needs over what's going on in our lives in this room today. At the same time, we realize that if he never meets another need in my life, that God is still worth serving. You see, he's done enough. He died so that I could be saved. He died so that you could be saved from your sin. He took your punishment. He took my punishment when he died on that cross. He created you. He loves you. He loves me. And as we say sometimes, like, hey, you're good. We could say right now to God, God, you're good. If you never do another thing for me, you're good because you've saved me from hell by sending your son Jesus to die on a cross once and for all for my sins. He doesn't owe me anything. He's the Lord. And I am the servant. I suppose I know this maybe rather deeply. Some of you know our story. We lost our son to cancer almost 10 years ago. He was four years old when he passed. My wife and I and my other son, we were desperate. We were absolutely desperate. We were praying. There was hundreds. There was thousands of people praying for my son's healing. And listen, it did not turn out like I wanted it to. I was expecting my son to be healed. It didn't happen that way. In fact, I've had family members that challenged my wife and I and said, why? Like, why? These are my words. They didn't say it this way, but why do you choose to continue to serve God and be a pastor? For that matter, why do you choose to be a Christian? Like he didn't heal your son. God seems mean and angry. And, and, I, and my reply was, well, that's, that's not why we serve God. I don't serve God because I get. I serve God because, one, I love him, but two, I realize he died on the cross for my sins and that's the only way I can go to heaven and have eternal life. 
So if he never does another thing, even if he doesn't heal my son of cancer, he's still worth serving and I love him. It's not about what I get. And folks, I've seen God heal people since that time. Miraculously, we pray and God heals them. I can't explain to you why God does this and doesn't do that or goes over here and does this and doesn't do that. That's not even my job. I don't even worry about that anymore. I just worry about serving God with my heart and my life. And I don't like the way things turn out sometimes. But you know what? God shows me patience and he shows me grace. Sometimes, Pastor David, I yell at God and I have some pretty pointed conversations, which I think I win most of the time and have really good points, but he's usually silent. But I've also come to understand that he can take that because he created me and he loves me. And he created my emotions and he understands that I may not understand everything. You know, that blessing that maybe you're praying for and you're thinking, man, if this could just happen. Sometimes God has a perspective on you and I that we just are not going to have. And what we think is a blessing may actually be what could destroy us. And he knows better. He knows better. It's not easy. It's a struggle. It's hard sometimes to trust the Lord and rest in Him. It's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith. We call it even if faith. If you remember that story, they're thrust into the fiery furnace and, um, and they say, look, King, we believe our God is going to rescue us, but even if He does not, and we burn up in here, we will still love and serve him. And of course, we know what happened in that story. God rescued them out of the furnace. It's that kind of faith that we're talking about today, that we're moving through the crowd of 5,000 and we're moving closer to Jesus and understanding it doesn't matter what you do for me, although God does incredible things for me. I just simply want to serve and love you, Lord. If we're not careful, our stomach becomes full and our souls remain empty. The 5,000 didn't view Jesus as the sovereign Lord and Savior, but rather someone that could just do something for them. Sometimes when we get a glimpse of what Jesus can do, our minds start to wander and we start wondering, what, what can he do for me? Maybe he can do this. Maybe if I get in tight here, he can help me get this taken care of. That's a wrong view of our relationship with God. That's how the prosperity gospel is often presented. Look how God did this for them. God wants to give you a new house, a new job, a raise. Just give this or do that. Our relationship with God is, it's it's all about what he can do for me. Our faith hinges on him saying yes to our selfish desires and we are shook when we feel like something doesn't go our way. People have said this, God answers every prayer three ways. Yes, not now, or I have something better. I would propose this to you, and I've learned from experience. Sometimes God just says no. Not because he's mean. Not because he's sitting in judgment. But because he just understands better than I understand. You see, I'm not a loser today because my son is no longer here. He's healed. He's in heaven. 
My goal as a Christian man is to see my family make heaven. My goal as a pastor is to help and see and make sure that as many people as I can make heaven one day. I got one son already there. I don't like it in these moments because I wish he was still here. But I trust God that he's got a bigger purpose and a plan with all this. And so I choose to trust him today. I want to encourage you, will you choose to trust him today? Following Jesus is not taking him wherever you go. Following Jesus is him taking you places where you never intended to go. In moments like this, um, I take time out before, like most pastors do, in preparing a message. And um, I will go to what I call the dark place in my life. I'll tap into the emotions of losing our son and remember uh, some of those moments. And I'll just allow myself to experience that. And then I walk through that and I spend some time talking to the Lord. And usually it ends with, Lord... Will you use whatever you can from this story or whatever's happened to draw people close to you? Because if you can do that, then it's worth it. It's worth it every time. If somebody will give their heart to the Lord, will draw close to the Lord, will trust, will come out of the 5,000 and move closer to Jesus, it's absolutely worth it every single time. Do we follow only when we need something or do we follow him because he's our savior? The 5,000 isn't relational, it's transactional. And this is the third and final point. To keep getting closer, we have to, number three, surrender all he has given to him. All that he has given to us, we surrender to him. John chapter 6, here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down above, uh, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish where they had all had, when they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. You see, God can do much when you give him all, even if it feels little. We get baptized. When we get baptized in water, that represents our old life going into that water and coming out as a new life in our relationship with the Lord. If I had more time, I'd illustrate for you. I'm just going to tell you what it is. But we like to lay down in that water, but we'll hold whatever that is up in our hand. If, if it's pride in your life, this represents pride. You're going to hold that out of the water and say, well, you know, Lord, you can have every other part of my life, but I'm just going to keep this. Like it's not going to, it's not going to get baptized. Maybe we hold our wallet up because we just don't quite trust him with our finances and our money. Maybe there's addictions that we face that I want to draw close to the Lord, but he can't have this because I've got this. But God is wanting us to understand today He wants everything and he knows better and he has a plan for you and I. You see, we say, yes, yes, I want to be closer to Jesus, but I would ask this question. Have you given him everything? 
Have you said, this is all I have and I'll give it to you? It's not, as, it's, it's not easy. It's easy for me to say. It's a lot harder to do. <laughs> Trust me. But God is challenging every one of us in this room, whether we're pastors or we're just folks sitting in the chair. One more time. Hey, have you given me everything? Are you willing to trust me fully? Because I want you to draw closer to me and I want to draw closer to you. But until you trust me with this, that becomes a roadblock. So would you surrender that today to me? Because I am faithful to you and I will lead you. I will guide you. Would you please stand to your feet with me? Miracles happen when we give God what we've got, just like that little boy did. I don't have much, but Lord, you can have my lunch. David said in the Bible, I don't have much, but Lord, I'm good with a slingshot. Moses said, I don't have much, but I can raise my staff. The widow with her sons that were going to become slaves, she had a little bit of oil that God multiplied. Honestly, I think being in the 5,000, that's the hardest place to be because you come out of the crowd and I think that's where most of us get stuck is in that group of 5,000 because one of two things are going to happen. You're going to acknowledge that I need to surrender this to the Lord and I need to give it up to Him right now. Or what most of us struggle with right now in this moment is, I'm not ready to give that up. But whatever that thing is, it can lead us into a selfishness and it can keep us from walking in the fullness that God has. Listen, folks, this is not, this is a tough message. And this is, God does not condemn us. God does not guilt us. That is not how God's nature is. But he will call for the question and say, I love you. Will you draw close to me? And that's what he's doing today. And he does that by examining our heart and going, hey. And most of us know what it is that God's after in our life. And don't you dare sit back there, stand back there and think, well, that preacher, listen, I do not have it all together. As I was preparing this message, and as Pastor David knows many times when you're preparing a message, a lot of times the Lord is speaking to you first because he's dealing with you first in your own life. So please understand if there, if you feel there's a finger pointing at you, there's four fingers pointing back at me today. Because that's what God does. Because he cares about my heart. He cares about me. He didn't care about me being a preacher, but he also cares about you. And he wants to draw close to you. He wants to draw close to me. He wants to have a relationship with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you are faithful. Lord, this is a hard message. God, I think most of us in this room would say, I love you and I want to serve you. I want to draw close to you. But Lord, I also understand sometimes there's more things you're trying to pull out of my life to ultimately get me 
to your blessings and what you want to do in my life. And so, Father, right now, we surrender ourselves, our heart right now in this moment. Lord, we trust you. God, I thank you that you're faithful today. And I bless you. I honor you with my life. Folks, if you're here right now, maybe you have the realization that, hey, I need to surrender some stuff to the Lord. He knows what that is. You know what that is. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to share that unless you just absolutely feel compelled to get prayer for that. It's between you and the Lord. If that's you today, you have the realization, holy cow, I I need to surrender this. I need to draw closer to God. Would you slip up your hand right now? I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God meets our needs. But even if he never meets another need in our life, he's still worth serving because he died on the cross for our sins. And he's now made a way for us to live in this life. Despite the sorrow, despite the pain, despite the circumstances that come, he's good. And you can trust him. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. That you cleanse my heart. Cleanse my life. I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you fully. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Chickasha. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.